you're doing like inline and online. Another you know, one's driving me nuts lately that I keep seeing. I keep seeing online, meaning on the internet, is uh, grown people. I guess also intelligent people saying on accident. <laughs> oh God, that's uh, the rather worst. than by accident. Yeah, like oh, not like ironically, not isolated cases, but just it's rampant. It's like it, there are, I think there's whole sections of the adult population that think that's a perfectly acceptable way to talk and uh, don't think anything of it. Most of them go there because the weather is nice. That's why they go to Florida. But the weather in Florida is terrible. Uh, no, no they go in the winter. They don't go in the summer. Right. That's the whole snowbird phenomenon. They go down in the winter to Florida and then come back to New York in in, in the summer. That's yeah, what they, my grandparents do. My Jewish grandparents that live in Boca Raton, like every other set yeah, of Jewish right. grandparents no, I, in the world. I, I think I'm outnumbered on the show on the pronunciation of that state, too. So I'll just let that one slide. Sorry, Florida. Yeah, keep <laughs> practicing. You're supposed to be a New Yorker now. You're doing a piss poor job. I'm from a, Ohio. Give me your brain. I know. I know. Oh, Tiff's <laughs> supposed to whip you into shape. <laughs> I don't even speak well for an Ohioan if it makes you feel any better. No, no, you're just a, you're a mongrel without a home. Now. I'm supposed to say I think I think, I think be, being from Ohio, I'm supposed to say things like "warsh," and the shopping cart is a buggy. No, but you do say you do say the word. Get my groceries and some sacks. You say the word Q U E R Y like either an Ohioan or uh, or a Pennsylvania crazy or a crazy person or a crazy query? person. Yeah, it's it's not query, it's query. It's what? Oh, it. we're said, not going to. We're I not going to do word pronunciation. We have follow up to get to here. People. All right, let's we, do some follow up. The very first item is an ancient follow up that we never managed to mention. I think in one past show, I was saying how I couldn't figure out what version of Bugshot I was running and couldn't think of a way to look up the version in the app. Uh, and many people wrote and tell us if you go to settings, general usage, and select the app that you can see the version number. And I could swear I did that, but apparently I didn't. So there you go. Uh, the iSCSI one, I think we did address. So you could actually delete that one. The fact that uh, if if you even if you use iSCSI, uh, you can't just take the drive out and put it in your Mac. Right, it depends on the implementation of the enclosure, whether it has raw disk access or whether it uses some other intermediary right. layer. And a NAS probably doesn't, but maybe just some you know box with a disk in it might. But anyway, that being uh, said, I still haven't tried iSCSI with with my NAS yet, so I still can't actually tell you whether like Synology does or not. Oh yeah, uh, are we going to talk about that it's today eventually someday. We have tons of topics. I know. Yeah, we do need but, to talk about that. Did you open your present yet or not? I did. I, I, I could not resist. Oh, man, it's so good. But let's keep with follow-up. We can follow. save, we can save it for follow. the show. All right. Um, and so the real follow-up here is from people uh, talking to me about backups because we talked about on the Three Phones, a show, uh, Three Phones Ago show about the problem of preserving your photos on your phone or otherwise. Uh, the first one is from Ben Griffel. And he says, one thing came to mind, what if backing up photos simply isn't as important to the current or younger generation of people? When you have a thousand photos on your phone, how important is any one photo? I thought I mentioned that on the show. Like, maybe Apple's idea is, don't worry about it. Like, don't worry. Don't be such a pack rat. Like, take your pictures, enjoy them, look at them. uh, And 10 years from now, yeah, you won't have these photos, but so what? Uh, I don't think that's the case. I I think it's really just that trying to deal with every like trying to deal with all of everybody's photos is just such a large scale problem and has so many other problems that we discussed with things like upload bandwidth and storage things like that um videos are a whole other problem where you know these these devices can can capture new data so quickly like if you open up your iPhone and record a 30 second video that's a few hundred megs 
right? And something like that. And so it's something like that. You know, it's these devices, and the photos aren't that much better. You know, if you snap a bunch of photos in the night, that could be oh, fifty megs. Photos are way better. I mean, like I, sure. said, like I said in the show, I think photos are in the realm of possibility. Video, forget it. Like, there's no, there's no chance of that. Just, I mean, storage, storage capacity alone, you can't even store it on. You know, so but well, right. for photos, but, for photos, it's within the realm of reason. But uh, but it's it's it, it's like a dirty problem to Apple. Like Apple, they know that they can't do online backup of all your photos and all your videos. Even though these devices try to make those two things very easy to capture and encourage you to capture them, and they put them all together in one big bin on the device, uh, that's why I think like since they can't really do it well, and they probably won't be able to do it well for the foreseeable future of backing up all of your all of your photos forever and all your videos forever. I think they just kind of say, you know what, the, that you're on your own for that. Even though whatever we think about that solution, I think that's the clear message from uh, them, which is I, like, you're I on think your own. I think they would be liked. They would like to do it. They're just doing a bad job of it. Uh, and actually, if we, well, I, I want to get to this follow-up, and we can talk more about some other things that have come up related to this. But technically, it's ben, his follow-up. Ben, yeah, but Ben's point is that maybe it's not important to the consumers, to the current or younger generation. Like we're talking about it, but we're old or whatever. But like maybe younger people don't care. I suppose that's possible, but I have a hard time believing that there's such a generation gap, uh, you know, value ch- change in values in terms of uh, memories. Uh, it's true that the younger generations are producing much more of it, so maybe that makes each individual photo uh, worth a lot less. But I think the idea that, you know, you'll want to see pictures from your honeymoon or your wedding or from when your baby was born or from when you graduated college or when you were in high school, like, the desire to see those... And to preserve those in some form somewhere uh, is not a generational thing. Like, people will want to do that. Uh, and that's the killer. That's the. It's not so much like, oh, I don't care about the photo I took last year. It's 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you almost certainly will want to see something. Maybe not every single picture, but you want to see something. And that's kind of, you know, maybe that would actually be a viable strategy of just thinning out your pictures as you go through the past. But I don't think that's reasonable because I think. Uh, Storage capacities will increase so much that that won't be necessary. But but anyway, that was one interesting point. And another one, this is, these are both from Twitter. No, one was email and this one's Twitter. Uh, Jared Tate said he uh, he said, it should not be anyone else's responsibility but the end user for backups, he means. Uh, and he says, obviously, it's too complex an issue to discuss via tweet. I agree with that. But ignorance is not a good enough reason to force autonomous backup. So this person's position seems to be that... Uh, it, I was asking for Apple to take care of this, and said it's not Apple's. It's not Apple's problem. It's not Apple's responsibility. It's the only person whose responsibility is the end user's responsibility. And ignorance, as in you don't know enough to know how to do your backups, is not a good enough reason to force autonomous backups. As in, like it's like the state or the Apple or whatever forcing you or putting upon you this automated backup system. And there's no justification for that. Uh, I guess this person doesn't want Apple getting in their business or pulling their photos down. Or, you know, whatever. So there's a little bit of tinfoil hat in here, but again, Twitter is kind of short to uh, to understand this. But the, the whole idea that it's not anyone's responsibility but the end user, like that's, there's, there's a time for those type of feelings, but the time passes, right? So it's like, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be anyone else's responsibilities but the drivers to, to, you know, to figure out what the correct fuel-air mixture is at a given, uh, you know, temperature and uh, barometric pressure and <laughs> RPM and throttle position. Really, I mean, it's not really the responsibility. Really, you know, seriously, drivers have to take some responsibility for themselves. And, you know, what was it? They have like a choke knob or something mm-hmm. they used to have in the cars, right? Yeah, boats mm-hmm. have those, right? Or they used right. to, at least. Yeah, and it's like, you know, that's... 
that's your responsibility as a driver. You should not be pushing that off onto the car manufacturers. But now that sounds crazy, right? You know, so it, the bar shifts. Like things that used to be the responsibility of the operator, and people get self righteous about, like, a, you know, we were just talking about shifting and everything. Well, that should be the responsibility of the driver, and it's fun to do, and it makes you a real driver, and so on and so forth. But none of us would be like, I really, I really need to control the uh, the fuel injectors because <laughs> that, you know, otherwise I don't feel like I'm really driving. I'm uh, surprised no this that. guy even heard our show because. I'm guessing. I mean, what do you think the chances are that he's a desktop Linux user? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You can't. T- you can't tell from two tweets. Well, like, it's very difficult figure, sketch voice. If he's but, a desktop Linux user, and we only we only encode this show as an MP3, uh, we don't we don't do Og Vorbis, and so I'm actually kind of surprised oh he's he has heard the show at all. Please email Marco. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like the idea. It's easy to make fun of that, of, like, people saying, you know, you should take responsibility. Like, because we've all had that feeling, especially when we're younger, at certain points of, like, that uh, that these skills that you have that you're proud of that other people don't have, they don't deserve the benefits that come with that skill. So if you can't figure out how to do your own backups, fine. It's not Apple's problem to solve your problem. You know, it's a kind of a nanny state kind of, oh, they're going to come and solve all your stuff. That's not their problem. That's your problem. But, like, it's... It's ridiculous. Like, what do, what do you think you're paying Apple for? Like, they're giving you a device that does things, that, and every year it does more and better things. And previously it didn't do these things. And then, it, like, you want them to solve your problems for you. And if one of your problems is, I'm worried that 30 years from now I won't have any pictures of my children, yes, of course. Is, is it Apple's responsibility? No, they're not held at gunpoint having to do this, but they want to make a product that people want to buy. So you got to give features that people want. So if this person doesn't want those features and is happy taking responsibility for his own backups, that's perfectly fine. But... Uh, that's not how Apple stays in business and makes products that people want to buy, uh, and I think he has a minority opinion. You figure uh, there's also probably some, and I'm sure this is a relatively small effect, but there would be some effect where, you know, if if somebody had some kind of horrible disaster, which really isn't that uncommon these days, let's say, you know, a phone goes down the toilet while lightning strikes their house and, and people break in and steal their, their disconnected drives. So all their stuff <laughs> is gone. Um, they They... Get some new stuff from their insurance company's check. They 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 go to the Apple Store, get a new MacBook. They uh, they log into their stuff, and all their stuff is back. All their photos are back. All their their kids' memories are all back. That could make them incredibly loyal customers for life. In the same way that bringing another car analogy, a lot of times people who have been in a serious car accident, in which their car has performed extremely well in safety and has really and really protected them. A lot of times then after that, they only will ever buy that kind of car because is, it treats them so well. Which doesn't make that much sense. And, and neither does the Apple thing. Like really what you want to happen is for it to go past. Like that's the, the honeymoon period transition. You want it to go into the point where no one is overjoyed that their pictures are preserved when their house burns down. But they're furious if every single picture is not preserved. Like that's the next phase where you're like everyone takes it for granted. That's right? true. And, and, there's only, and there's only a downside like as a vendor. You know, we're not even close to that. Right? So you're right. There would definitely be a period like I was saying in the last show. If you were the company to do this first, everyone, you, everyone else would be like, oh, I lost these pictures and blah, blah, blah. And you'd be like, well, I don't have to worry about that because insert name of company or product or service that has proven itself again and again to, to keep your crap. Lots of people were emailing me and Twittering me and stuff and saying like, uh, why is an iCloud backup enough? Isn't that sufficient? Except for the fact that you have to pay, which I think I complained about uh, on Hypercritically once. Like making money, making it be like a small amount, and then saying, "Oh, you got to pay to actually back up everything that's on your phone." I think is cruel and stupid. Uh, but you know, the money is what it, what it is. And in the last show, I said, "Fine, you can charge for it, or whatever." But they're saying, "Well, all right. So if you charge money and you pay for iCloud backup to your phone, isn't that a perfect solution?" And I was amazed at the number of people who came up with that. And I was like, you know. Children were born before 2007. 
just screw them, I guess. I mean, like, their pictures aren't on, aren't on the phone. You didn't take them on the phone because you didn't have an iPhone. And people have these things called cameras, and I know they're so rare and stuff like that. And people, some people were saying most people just take all their pictures on their phone. Like, I know phones are popular, but I think people still have cameras. Like, I think that is a big enough thing that you can't ignore it. So people have cameras, and people have children born before in 2007 or before they got an iPhone. There exist pictures that are not on their phone. And it's just not a tenable solution. Like, storage of phones is not increasing uh, rapidly enough, especially if people are going to take any video at all, for you to be able to have your whole library on your phone. So even if your entire phone is completely backed up, you know, with iCloud and all that good stuff, and because you pay for it, that does not solve your photo problem for your family or, or even for your individual life, unless you have no cameras and no and no memories that you care about before you got your first iPhone that you've been schlepping your your phones from, your pictures from one phone to the other. With. So I think that is currently not a tenable solution maybe in the future no one will have cameras and all the babies born before 2007 no one cares about them anymore and they'll just be like well i'm you know i came of age in the age of the iphone all my pictures have always been on my phone every year i transfer every single one of my pictures to my new phone they're all backed up in icloud my this and i pay for it every year and therefore i never have to worry about my photos uh but i think that is incredibly rare and we're not there yet so let me ask stupid question of the night. Why doesn't Apple, with their eight gazillion dollars in the bank, just buy Crash Plan or or um, I'm or, drawing a blank on or EverPix similar or EverPix? Yeah, I, I just signed up for EverPix after the last show. I'd known about it for a while, and I'm like, you know what? After that last show, why don't I just try out this EverPix thing? Uh, Was it good? I mean, like, I don't know if I'm gonna keep using it like it's like 50 dollars for a year i just paid for the whole year i just wanted to see how they did like how long will it take them to get all my photos how good will they be about pulling my photos everpix is a service by the way that, that takes all your photos and like like the name says like they keep them forever full resolution they organize them for you and they will suck them from any one of your devices and by the way many people wrote in and tell me that google plus promises to do something similar if you take it on your android for and they get pulled into google plus and oh, that'll be around pictures forever. yeah i mean like <laughs> that's the thing i thought about with like people saying you know that oh Google Plus will do that for you. Like, are you kidding? Like, they they have not. They have a long way to go before I'm going to trust them to take care of all my pictures forever. Like, I don't even trust them to keep track of my email forever. Like, every, every piece of email that's in <laughs> Gmail, I have on my own computer that's backed up. You know what I mean? Like, they have not earned that. Whereas Everpix, at least you said, look, that's their whole business. It's in their freaking name. Like, maybe they're going to go out of business. Maybe they're a startup. Maybe Apple's going to buy them and shut them down. But clearly, for as long as they're in business, they are totally serious about keeping your pictures. Uh, and so I I signed up for it. It pulled in all my pictures. In well, first, I just let it go on my on my, my little library, and I saw that it was working. And then I said, "All right." And then that was like the free trial. And then I signed up for my uh, account for my wife because she's got the the family iPhoto library on her computer. It pulled them all in. I mean, granted, I have a big upload connection, uh, but it was it was pretty seamless. It worked. Their web interface is probably not how I'd want to manage my pictures, but it's interesting that if someone says, "Oh, where is that picture of whatever?" Now, no matter where I am in the world, I can just go to everpix.com and like find the picture that they're asking about and give them the full resolution. I, I did it already after I came back from my vacation. Uh, my mom asked, like, "Where is that picture of us with the grandkids?" because I hadn't copied onto their SD card because we took it on the last day we were there right before we left, right? And she sent me that email when I was at work. I just pulled up the website, pulled out the high-res pictures, emailed them to her. So, I give the, the, the service a thumbs up. I still think Apple should buy them and just like, because again, they seem to have worked out most of these things here. Why doesn't Apple do that? Charge a similar amount of money, maybe less, build it into every iPhone. Uh, I know they're kind of trying to do the same thing with PhotoStream, but nobody I know, even the super geeks, knows all the rules about how PhotoStream works. And we shouldn't have to think, it should just be like like Everpix. What are the rules of Everpix? We grab all your photos as soon as we can and keep them forever. That's easy to remember. <laughs> that being said, though, you know, we. It's 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 great. I haven't actually used it yet, although I've heard great things. They even sponsored the talk show like 
a year ago or something, and I heard that then. Dar- but, Daring Fireball. They didn't sponsor the talk show. They sponsored Daring Fireball. I thought the same thing. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, anyway, well, that's what Lex told me. But what does he know? I think they, they maybe they sponsored both. <laughs> so anyway, um, I think uh, you know it's it's a great service for the role you just described uh, of you know having everything, having instant access to everything from anywhere. That's fantastic. That being said, though, I still don't think it's wise to trust any web service for the primary storage and backup of your photos. Oh no, because I wouldn't. I, like, it's it's just like a. Uh, uh, what comes after tertiary? Whatever comes after tertiary backup. Yeah. That that, I mean, that's right. what it is because I've got like, you know, backups and local backups and have crash plan. And this is one more because I'm, is it cheaper? I guess it is cheaper. $50 for the year or something. It seemed cheap to me at the that's time. That's about what like, Backblaze costs. It, yeah. But it was like unlimited. It was so focused on photos. I like the idea that this would be an extra backup because like I'm willing to spend the extra money not to back up all of my crap to yet another service, but just like now, now we're getting down to brass tacks. Like what do you really care about? Right. Photos. And and I don't think it does any video, but like I'll pay extra to have that. So like I said, when the year is up, I'll think about whether I want to do it again, whether it's earned its value, but I would definitely say like, Oh, now that I've done this, I don't need to back up my iPhone library. No, no, definitely not. It's just, you know, it's another backstop against disaster. But but I think a lot of people wouldn't use it like that. Like a lot of people use these things as primary storage, well, and that's the it problem. Would be, like, it would be better than nothing, though. Wouldn't you be glad? Well, like if true. someone 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 who wasn't doing any backups before, and there's no way you're going to be able to, to convince them to even use Time Machine because it's too complicated for whatever. You're like, look, sign up for the service. At least then you feel like, all right, at least you have some backstop. Like that's your version of crash plan for them. You know? Yeah, but you know the problem. The problem with photos, you know, as you said, you you care less about a photo you took one year ago. And more about a photo you might have taken ten years ago. Like I got my first digital camera thirteen years ago, and so that's when like I I have pictures. I ha- I have a good number of like you know regularly taken pictures, not like two or three a year like in the film days, <laughs> but you know I have a good number of, of pictures being taken from the year two thousand forward. And back then, I mean, first of all, they look like crap because even though it was a really nice camera, it was low resolution by today's standards. I believe it was like 1.3 megapixels or something. Or no, it was 2.0. It was very high end, 2.0. It did, but isn't um, that the awful paradox that these ones that you care about from 10 years ago that, that oh, they look terrible, and and you care about them so deeply? Oh, cry, cry me a river. Mine were taken with disc cameras. Remember disc nice. cameras? Yeah, the floppy disk. <laughs> yeah, those those were not like I think each negative was like the size of my pinky thumb, pinky fingernail. Yeah, those are rough. <laughs> but but yeah, like you know, I still have these in Lightroom. Um, although at some point along the way, I lost full resolution versions of many of them, and so I only have like thumbnails, I believe, like from Aperture six years ago or something like that. But anyway, um, you know, there's a whole lot of these that I really care a lot about, and I would love to keep. And certainly, the older I get, the more I will want to keep them because they'll be further away, more distant memories. Um, but you know, any kind of web service will never will never satisfy that kind of time scale. The web just doesn't work that way. I mean, it's it's hard I, enough I to keep I, moving and moving. I don't know computers. if that's true though, because you're like, you're, are you saying that no web service will be around that long? Because I'm don't think saying that's it's a very unlikely that that a a photo storage and backup service or feature of a bigger service w- will generally be around for greater than ten year time scales. But they don't have to be. Like they they, they absolutely don't have to be. Like all they have to do is have duplicate copies of everything that you have somewhere else. And when they go out of business, it's on you to find an alternate service to take to be your backstop. And by oh, then, sure. maybe some other backup service will come. So you're not expecting a single thing. It's kind of like your data. Your data 
isn't expected to live on whatever hardware it was created on. You carry it along with you, and as storage increases, you just keep bringing it, copying it from thing to thing. So I, I envision this having various backup services, and they're either going to go out of business, or I'll prefer one to the other, or whatever. I will stop using that one, or they will disappear, or, and I will take, because that's my backup. It will, I will take that data, which I already have a copy of. That's just one of the many backups, and put it onto another service and let it go out of another service. Like I, I think that's a reasonable way, the only way, really, to bring your data along with you through your life is to constantly move it from service to service, hardware to hardware. So I don't think you have to worry about like the longevity of the companies, except within like you don't want to go for a company that's going to go out of business next week because then it was kind of a waste of your time. But uh, but other than that, I think it's, I'm comfortable with that. Oh yeah, but that's but we're nerds, you know. We're okay doing that kind of management and redundancy and everything. But for web services, you don't think regular people could do that? Mm. Like because they just sign up and then. Well, the problem is. If you're relying only on a web service, like, you know, let's say all your photos are backed up to Apple's magical thing uh, that, that, that doesn't exist. Let, let's say it starts existing and all your photos are backed up to iCloud. Let's say in four years, Apple stuff starts to really suck and you want to switch to Android or whatever is, is existing in four years. Uh, how do you do that? Yeah, well, you stop using Apple services, but you should still have all of your photos because they were just the backup. That wasn't the only copy of them that you had. I mean, that's another place where Google actually excels is they're very good about letting you get your crap out, right? Mm -hmm. And again, granted, it's a little bit techy, but at least you can get it. But with the online services, you just discontinue use of those services, discontinue use of those products. And when you set up your new thing, you copy all your old crap onto your new thing. And if the if the new thing really is better and is smart, they'll probably have some kind of migration assistant. Like Apple, I think Apple even has a Windows migration assistant to grab your crap off Windows and put it on your Mac so you don't lose, like, your Excel file that you keep your taxes in or whatever. Uh, that's I think it's just part of the process. And online services, I think, are the easiest to switch up because it's usually just a matter of stop using a website, stop paying the bill, cancel hopefully through their website, and sign up for another one in a web form. That's easier, I think, than transferring your data with a migration assistant when you upgrade from one computer to another. I mean, it's not it's not as easy as it could be, but... Uh, I think we're, we're within the realm of possibility. And I would be happy if everyone in my family just used Everpix or something similar. Because even though I know that's like inadequate, I've tried to get them all to use Time Machine and mounting and unmounting volumes is beyond the realm of normal computer use, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's why you get a time capsule and it all happens magically through the air. Very slowly, uh, but magically. Yeah, I, no. I can't imagine time capsules sell that well. Because think about like you know the the... The sales proposition there, you know, already airport extremes are way more expensive than most wireless routers. And most people now have internet service, if they have broadband at home in the U.S. at least, usually your internet service comes with a wireless router. Or uh, they, they talk you into leasing theirs every month because they tell you that you need it. Uh, and so the market for wireless routers is already pretty cheap and commodity-oriented. Uh, but then Apple comes out with a $200 router which, of course, we have, but nobody else does because everyone else is sane. Uh, and if you want, you can spend, like, $400 to get this one with this giant disc inside of it. It's, I mean, a, like, it's, a, it's a refrigerator toaster because, like, what? You're combining what <laughs> with what? Like, I want a router, and I want, like, something like a network-attached storage backup thing. Those both sound like good things, but why, why would I combine them? Because then you're tying, like, what if you want more storage, but your router is still fine? Or what, you, what if you want a new router, but your storage is fine? Like, you're, you're combining two things that don't need to be combined and... Tying the, yeah, and plus they had a terrible reputation for reliability, and I still think Time Machine yeah, over true. the network is, is not great. But I don't know. I, I mean, like, conceptually it sounds good, but 
they're you know realistically speaking the product wasn't great and i don't yeah i think you're right i think it's not that popular because that's a tough sell i guess well, it's probably for like rich people who come into the apple store and they're like oh well you know if you want the really good one this will do your backups automatically like that sounds good to people in the store like sure, oh yeah. i don't want to have to worry about backups i'll do this and most normal people would be like yeah but 400 bucks but you got a lot of money you're like all right and then you will regret it later see but i have to disagree with the with you guys because if you and okay so i'll agree with the part that you said well if you have a little bit extra money cuz yeah they're expensive but if let's say you just got burned and you just lost a bunch of data and you're a mac user and you just want the problem to be solved what do you do you find out that there's this thing called time machine and you need an external drive to do it on and you don't want to you're not a fiddly kind of person so you don't want to go to amazon and get an enclosure or even get an enclosure with a drive in it you just want one box that will solve all of these problems and whether or not it actually solves these problems i think to joe consumer that's maybe just slightly more um not intelligent but has the wherewithal to think about backing things up I think a time capsule is a really good solution for that person. Now, granted, technically, it may not be the best. It's very slow. Backing up over the network is kind of crummy. But if you just want the problem to go away, you just want to throw a little bit of money at the problem and make it go away, I think it's a pretty reasonable answer. But if Time Machine actually did that, then uh, – time not Time Machine. If Time Capsule actually did that, maybe you'd have a point. But I still think the price would be a big barrier there. Like I think it's easier – I think at this point it's easier to sell people on spending a little bit extra for the iCloud backup than it would be for them to lay out ahead of time. Even though the, the iCloud backup could end up costing them more over the long haul or whatever. That's not how – people think but the product just doesn't do like it just doesn't do what they say it's going to do it does not solve your problems it it lets you experience the joy of hearing questions of that thing on my menu bar is always spinning is there a reason for that and when does it say your last backup was oh like six months ago you're like oh time capsule yay it's not (laughs) like it didn't if if it had actually pulled it off like if if it worked reliably and, you know, eventually we'll talk about NAS stuff. But, like, the, the transporter, which I have now and I've been using, like, that works the way you expect it to work. It works as advertised. Whereas the time capsule, it's like the whole thing is, I'm going to do time machine backups to it. And it's not really the time capsule harbor's fault, probably, but many things conspire to make network time machine backups and time machine in general less efficient and good and potentially uh have the potential to get wedged. My new thing is that now Time Machine deals so poorly with uh, when the disk fills up, it's such a bad judge yeah. of how much room it's going to need. And now I'm just sitting there with TMU till de- manually deleting old backups because it can't figure out. Like it takes like days to figure out. Look, just delete half the backups. And you're not going to make it. Like it, <laughs> it tries again and again. And it goes all the way through, hits the limit, fills the disk, starts over again. It goes all the way through, hits the limit. It just mm-hmm. takes hours and hours for it to figure out that, oh, I didn't make enough free space. I know you didn't. So. There I am, TMU till deleting all day long, so I can finally get enough free space to make a complete backup. Oh, that is absolutely painful. You're absolutely right. I mean, whenever I've like, and I haven't actually had the the new my Synology setup. I haven't had it fill up yet because it's it's a giant disk in there. But when that does fill up, like historically, what I've done whenever my time machine fills up is I just format the partition. Yeah, wipe and start over. I do. I just, I just delete the partition because yeah. it's way faster than deleting all the files. Just repartition yeah, yeah, no, the I... disk and start over. And, you know, if, if I lose data during that time, I have backblaze. Yeah, it's... Uh, Time Machine does do okay with small incremental backups, but, like, if you use VMware at all, which this happens at work all the time, like, any modification to my a couple of my big VMs, and it's like, oh, I got another three gigabytes to back up because you just touch lots of pages on these little two-gigabyte Stripe files to VMware writes out. And you just see Time Machine going, like, you are not going to make enough free space for that. I don't know why you're not going to, <laughs> but you are not going to. And so, sure enough, it says, oh, backup failed, then I manually delete. But 
small backups like 50 megs, 100 megs, it can make it through. It's the big ones where it loses track of stuff. But yeah, yeah there's lots of technical right. reasons. So a file uh, time machine, the way it does everything is inefficient and crappy. And like when it first came out, they're like, oh, give them a chance. They're doing it whole files at a time and really inefficient and the crazy hard link thing. But I'm sure they'll enhance it over the years. Nope, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, something that is actually being enhanced over time and actually works is our sponsor this week, Squarespace, of course. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use our new offer code for the month of August, ATP8. So we use Squarespace for, for our site at ATP. Love it. It works. We use it for Neutral, our other podcast. Uh, love it. It works. That should tell you something. You know, we can make our own platforms. We don't because Squarespace makes it just so awesome to just use theirs. It just works. They give you so much stuff out of the box. It, it's just great. They're constantly improving with new features, new designs, and even better support. Uh, they have beautiful designs to start with, all the style options you could need to create a unique website for you or your business. Uh, they have won numerous design awards from prestigious institutions like Awards. That's with three W's, so you know it's good. FWA, The Webbies, and Forbes. Forbes, you've heard of Forbes. That's, that's also prestigious. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They have over 70 employees for support alone. I mean, this is, you know, they really have you covered here. This all starts at just $8 a month, and it includes a free domain name if you sign up for one year. And every design automatically includes a unique, responsive mobile experience that matches the style of the rest of the template. So, Squarespace, they take care of the hosting, so you don't have to. You can start a trial today with no credit card required and start building your website. That's a real free trial, no credit card required. When you decide to sign up, make sure you use our offer code ATP8 to get 10% off and to show your support for our show. We thank Squarespace a lot for supporting ATP. They are everything you need to create an exceptional website. You know, you are the king of not trusting any of your stuff to anyone else. And the fact that you and we have trusted both of our podcast websites to Squarespace should be enough. Like, you shouldn't need any other ad read than that. that I mean, that's look, all you need to know. It's, it, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you should host every website that you will ever make in your life on Squarespace. It's all about priorities and needs and values. And the fact is, you know, I would not have any provider of any blog platform be the only place where the, all the photos of my kid live. That's just not what these things are supposed to do. However, when I'm launching something and I don't have time to make a whole new site, code a whole CMS, or install somebody else's and keep it updated and all that stuff. Or, have or, it's, like, it's, or it's, not part of the value, it's not part of the value add. Exactly. Like, and for most people, for most sites that exist, they don't need to be on anything custom. They don't, need to, they, don't, they don't need to be coded from scratch. They don't need to be having their own installation of WordPress that somebody has to maintain. Like, there's, so, there's so many site types out there. Like, I wish every restaurant that I ever searched for would just have their site on Squarespace. Because they all have these crappy custom-built Flash sites from 10 years ago that don't work on any mobile devices these days, and you're out somewhere, you want to find a restaurant, and yeah, it's a disaster. Like, there's so many categories like that. Uh, my wife is, is trying out Squarespace for her photography site. Like, there's all sorts of, of categories where it just does not make sense, even if you could make, make it yourself. It doesn't make sense to hand-code every single thing from scratch. Because no one's going to say, well, I was going to listen to that podcast, but this podcast does their website by hand. Like, you can't, you can't even tell. And the, the oh, odds yeah. are, the odds that you're, especially for most people, the odds that you're going to hand-roll a website that looks and works better than the Squarespace one are slim. 
And also, have you seen other podcast websites? They're usually pretty bad. I mean, you know, Dan built something good at 5x5, five five, but a lot of the other podcast sites out there are terrible. It's not, it's not a core part of the podcast experience. People just, like, they arrive on their phone or whatever. Like, that's how it works. And we have to have a website, and it has to be there, and that's where the RSS gets, you know, like, there's, there's reasons for it, but it's not, it's like, is that where you want to spend your time? And the answer is, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather delegate that. Exactly. All right. Anyway, um, what's, what's next on our topic list? Because I have a few things I could bring up, but we have such a long list. Might as well get through Why don't you look at the file like the rest of us? Why I was shun the file. I was busy reading our Squarespace ad tab. Uh, yeah. It's, anyway, uh, what do we children, have? Listed? Children, children. <laughs> I think the first item we should probably save for last. Um, that makes sense. But uh, oh, that, I don't know. Oh, that's going to be good. Yeah, that is going to be good. All right. So, what what else do you guys want to talk about? I don't know. Oh, do you want to talk about if this then that and Twitter? I read that article, and the only thing I could come up with was to tease Panzer about something he wrote, but. Uh, the rest oh, of please it. do. Friend of the show, Matthew Panzerino. Yeah, yeah writing, new job. Writing, writing for TechCrunch now. Yeah. I, did he leave the next web or he is he did. writing for both? Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he left the next web and uh, got quite a promotion at TechCrunch, actually. All right. Well, anyway, he did write that uh, they didn't jive, J-I-V-E, with the new tweet display rules. And so I want to shame him for that publicly. <laughs> yeah, it's a jive, right? Yeah. I just, stay, that's one of those, I just stay away from those words because I'm like, I, it's like whom? You know, and yes, we know. We know. <laughs> oh, oh my God. goodness! Yeah. Don't even get me started on that. I my, everyone send Casey the oatmeal. Oh comic. God! Every person on all of the internet has sent me that link, and I appreciate every one of you for sending <laughs> me. Well, that Casey, link. this is part of being, you know, you know, f list famous or whatever we want to say we are. It's like, <laughs> like it's it, you have to that angry feeling you're getting. Like you have to use the rational part of your brain to wrangle that because each person who's sending it to you doesn't know about all the other people oh, sending it to you and and it's too much it's not really it's it's not reasonable to ask them please before you send me anything check my at replies to make sure 800 people also haven't sent like people are still sending me like that uh uh pop art culture whatever uh poster you can buy of all the uh, video game controllers oh, i yeah. still get, i still get that like every week right <laughs> and your inclination as as a you know as a lizard brain you know hairless ape is to be like stop sending me these things i know don't you know i know but like the human part of your brain should be like, no they don't know you know nor should they have to know you know they're just trying to do something nice for you so don't get frustrated so no, and, and it when is, you can actually nice. not be frustrated like your, phase one is like being frustrated phase two is realizing you shouldn't be frustrating and tamping it down and phase three is actually not getting frustrated so i'm, I'm rooting for you to break through Casey. <laughs> this is no, like training is nice. wheels for you it is nice because you know i it, it is nice to know that people think of me and that i it, I, it amazes me that anyone thinks that I exist outside of the hour or two that they listen to this podcast. But uh, that being said, it, it, I got a million copies of it, and I, and I was like, my goodness, th- this is a lot. <laughs> One uh, thing you can do, though, because you do know that we're getting it, is not CC us on them in your replies to those people. Like when you <laughs> at reply to them to say something, you don't, ha- you don't have to include me and Marco because you I actually do know. usually don't. We're, we're Sometimes it. I do, but usually I don't. I used to do it a lot when we. This is terrible. We should talk about something else. But uh, yeah. all right. Well, um, uh, before before we leave that, though, like the other thing about this is the first person who sends it to you actually is providing a service because before the first person sent it to you, you hadn't seen it, and then you had, and every other person is doing exactly the same thing as that first person did. So the gratitude that you should, you feel for that first person should extend to all those people because any one of them <laughs> could have been the first person, and if no one sent it to you, you would be living a life not having seen that oatmeal comic unless you read them every day, which I assume you don't. 
Actually, I do follow the oatmeal on Twitter, which was the worst part of all is that I see this link fly by and I'm like, oh, crap, I know what's up. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm getting like at replies from the entire Internet. I do appreciate it. It was funny. And it did did it help help you learn or no? Now, you know, the funny thing is, is somebody had said to me a while ago, here's what you do. And this was via Twitter. And I apologize to to whomever you are. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, right. (laughs) I apologize to whomever that is. But uh, they said, you know, just substitute either he or him and figure it out. And if it's he, it's who. And if it's him, it's whom. This this is not a new thing. Like they've been teaching that in, you know, elementary school since, you know, for 100 years. Right, exactly. Um, so I don't remember remember what you were asking. Are you saying yes, did, did it actually help you, or was it just I, I didn't uh, no, like, like many oatmeal right. things? It's kind of a humorous rehash of things that people right. have seen before. Exactly. But it's all it's all about the presentation and delivery, and people crap on the oatmeal for that. But it's like, oh, all you're doing is you know gathering humorous things from the internet and packaging them up in an attractive form in a single place. Yeah, that's that's called you know that's 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 called entertainment. Right. I don't get all the oatmeal hate. That, he gets so much crap, and he, he seems he? like he's a really nice guy. Like, oh, that's yeah. to- it's totally <laughs> what it is, because he, like, he, his, his mistake was being honest about, like, look, I find things that are funny on the internet and, you know, synthesize a single funny thing out of them that hopefully is greater than the sum of its part, and people say, I've seen that before, or that's a derivative, which is ridiculous, because that's what all art is. He was just <laughs> he was just more honest about it, and that freaks people out. So. Right, well, and also, yeah. he is really funny. Like, I love his stuff. I, I have his, oh, me his, too. his picture about, or his uh, his poster about dogs. I have it on my bathroom wall. Like, I, he's, I love his art. I love his style. I love his humor. Like, I think he's really funny, and he gets he gets an amazing amount of crap from people. I really don't get it. Well, humor is subjective. Like, here's someone, you know... Was it someone in the chat room saying the funniest thing about the oatmeal is that it exists, but it's not funny? Well, if you don't find it funny, you don't find it funny. Like humor is subjective. I think the, the the guy can be obnoxious, and if obnoxious humor is annoying, and if you don't find it funny, if you don't find the art style funny, like you know, you don't have to like it. I'm just you know, but you're right. He gets he gets a lot of crap, and he gets I think he gets a lot of crap because he's honest about how he makes things, and it seems like low class, and he seems fine with it. But people are like no, you're I, I want you to do things, you know, be inspired and completely original and not derivative in any way and not tell me the, the crash com- crass commercialism that enters into your calculus when, like, that's how he makes his living. Like, that's part of being good at what he does, and he's good <laughs> at it, so... Like it or don't, but there so it there's is. there's two funny things that come out of what you guys just said. Firstly, with regard to the oatmeal, uh, I am I am the king of sending the there versus there uh, comic to people because that drives me nuts when people confuse T H E Y apostrophe R E with T H E I R and T H E R E and that drives me insane. And so I've been sending these links to people forever, and so really I deserve every one of these links and all the links that will come after I've, uh, do, I've made do you, that statement. Do you converse with elementary school children a lot? Who's messing up there, there, and there? Oh, you have no idea. I don't want to know. Don't, don't tell me. Have you ever read oh. an email from anybody? Yeah, exactly. I, I only converse with people who have impeccable grammar, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> what about the, the other, itses? Yo, the itses. The, the itses it's, I don't blame people for anymore in the age of autocorrect, because the freaking autocorrect will always pick the wrong one. Yeah, and you won't notice. A great, you'll, a you'll send it. I mean, and the thing I is, uh, even, even my fingers, my fingers <laughs> type the wrong ones all the time, right? And I totally oh, know the difference. Fingers. No, it happens. <laughs> and, the controller's but, broken. That's why no. I died. No, no, no. no. Like, I, my fingers type the wrong one. And I totally know the right one. I've never had any confusion about it. And it's, I don't know why I never had any confusion. I probably learned the rule when I was in third grade and then just never forgot it. Never any confusion. And yet, they come out of your fingers like that. But but they're there and they're like, those are spelled entirely different. It's not like one key's difference. You oh, know, it's so. the worst. And your and your. Uh, but anyway, the other thing I wanted to say is, uh, with regard 
to Marco having the poster. A pro tip, if you ever happen to be in the Armand household, go to the bathrooms because that's where the best art is. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know. Tiff won't let me keep a lot of the best art in general purpose rooms uh, so I can hide so it. You so you get the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a, a raw deal. <laughs> Goodness. You should get the computer room. Why don't why why isn't that the well, place? Actually, I do, but here? unfortunately, right. I've filled up the walls in the computer room, and so I have to expand. That's your, that's your overflow gallery. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I have to expand into the bathroom, so to speak. <laughs> overflow gallery. <laughs> oh, we don't want to call it overflow gallery in the bathroom, but oh my uh, god, goodness! All right, so uh, do we have anything to say about if this and that in Twitter? I guess not. I didn't even. I totally missed that story. I, I read the article. I didn't think there was anything there. You tell me. I just thought it was interesting that they're, they're, as I phrased it in the show notes, sitting in a tree, K-I-S-S-I-N-G, uh, just in that, that, that Twitter is allowing, or and worked with if this and that, even more than just allowing it, they worked together uh, in order to get, the, to get that integration back. And, and I thought that was kind of cool and, and a positive step. It's only a story if you think this is part of a turnaround at Twitter, and I do not. No, that's very fair. I would also say not. I mean, if this, then that, they have funding and everything, right? And they have a staff, right? Isn't that... I think so. So the fact is, like you know, Twitter will Twitter will give API access to to partners, and so if you're willing to devote enough time and money into like courting them with salespeople and relations and everything else, you can become a partner. And so, you know, it, it's not that surprising that a company with funding and a staff was able to convince Twitter to give them API access like that. Real and especially since. They're really not in any way competitive with Twitter, and they don't look like they ever will be competitive with Twitter. Like Facebook being cut off from their products and interacting with Twitter and vice versa, that's because Twitter's afraid of the competition uh, and of you know boosting some other social network or, or some other social network coming in and like stealing all the all the following relationships away from Twitter and all the all the traffic and everything. Um, if this and that is not really a threat at all, uh, they're they're big enough that Twitter can can make a deal with them. But they're small enough and, and narrow enough in scope of what they do that they're really never going to be a threat. It's very, very clear. They're not, they're not looking to take over and replace Twitter. You know? So it doesn't surprise me that they were able to make a deal. Yeah. All right. Do we want to talk about the gold iPhone that's not gold? Champagne. Is there anything to say about that? Why is it not gold? It's champagne. Because it's champagne. Is that – I'm keeping up on the rumors. Did someone did someone rumor that that is what they're going to call the color or are people just saying that as a backlash against the really, really gold-looking They're saying it as, as a description of what the color is. Yeah. I, I, is there any doubt that Apple would call it gold instead of champagne? If they make a phone that's, an, that's a goldish color, they're going to call it gold. Like they don't, they, call... they don't do the thing of like calling it like midnight mist. They, really? Because no, the one in my pocket's <laughs> called slate or something, right? Yeah, Charcoal. but that, that's that's reasonable. But they usually like if it's gold, it's going to be gold. I mean, the iPod Mini was gold. They called it gold. That's what I was going to ask. I, I, was I feel like gold? I feel like if it's gold, they'll call it gold. The other thing that I was expecting is you know uh, what was the you guys won't know this, but uh, that the the power PowerBook G3 with the bronze keyboard, or was it a G3? But anyway, it was a PowerBook with a bronze keyboard. Uh, and bronze perfectly fits with the description of that color too. So maybe they could call it bronze, but gold, bronze, yellowish, whatever. They've made uglier devices before. They have, they were, the iPods came in like lime green and pink and like this terrible teal and pastels and gold is not outside the realm of something that Apple would make. And if they make it good for them. I mean, even the iPod touch has come in pretty terrible colors. I, I would say, I would say the current yellowish green, whatever that yellow green puke color yeah. is for the iPod Touch, that's a terrible color. It's hideous, kids, kids, but they make like it, it and they sell it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People like Some, it. So, you know, yeah. they'll, if they're, 
you know, obviously there, all the rumors are pointing pretty solidly to this iPhone 5C having this plastic back and being cheap and coming in all these iOS 7 uh, palette colors, uh, you know, or at least three or four of them. And that looks pretty likely, and that makes a lot of sense. They just need to name it after a hipster beer, and it will sell like hotcakes. Because, <laughs> like, find some beer that's the same shade. I don't know enough about beers. Maybe Marco could say, find some beer that is the same color as this phone is, and there you go. Call it that. The funny thing is, they get so much crap for the every every phone that's come out pretty much since the iPhone four. They've gotten so much crap for it not being different enough, not being new enough, not being innovative. All that crap, um, mostly for superficial reasons, mostly because they didn't change the case. Or even when the iPhone five came out, which was a massive change, people say, "Well, it looks kind of similar." Like it's like it's a rectangle people, with a they screen get on so it. So much crap for that. <laughs> I think now that they're going to have what appears to be two different models with. One model being totally new exterior-wise, and the other model being, uh, you know, the same quote as the iPhone five, but having new guts, new camera, probably new faster CPU, probably, and having this extra color that's radically different looking from the other two. Uh, I think people will be very happy with this release. I think I think they'll actually say, "Wow, this finally we got you know new stuff, new." And then iOS seven also looks very new in the software. I think that I think this is like a an overall like massive reactionary storm that's going to all hit at once in response to the last three or four years of everyone saying Apple wasn't innovating at all. Well, we talked to several shows back about like if they could have an iPhone six with a new form factor, boy, that would really just bring it home. But you know, we, they probably wouldn't because they're probably going to do a five S, and that seems like I mean they got to do what they got to do. They had you know. You can't just magically say, "Oh, you know, you know, it would also be great if we had a brand new iPhone 6." Well, there seems like they're not going to, unless they really, really surprise us. But I, what they have rumored, if all those rumor things are true, that is totally adequate. More, more, more than adequate. Now, what do you think? You know, my my, my statement on Twitter a couple of days back was that uh, you know it looks because right now iPhones we can we can predict pretty well in advance these days because the supply chain to make enough iPhones to satisfy the demand for them is so huge and gears up so far ahead of time that it's almost inevitable that the supply chain will leak in the month leading up to a new iPhone. So that's why like, you know, that's why we've seen pretty much the entire iPhone 5C already. Uh, we've seen the back shell for the iPhone 5S, and who knows? We, we probably wouldn't even recognize any difference with the front. Um, so it's pretty obvious now what we're getting and what we're not getting. And so it is pretty obvious that there's probably not going to be a, quote, iPhone 6 or anything beyond what we see as the 5C and what we see as the 5S online. And so I tweeted a few days ago that it, it appears pretty pretty clear now that we're not going to get a larger screened iPhone this year. And I think that's a mistake. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I think if they could have made a bigger phone this year, they would have, but they can't. I mean, we, we, when we talked about their bigger phone, we're like, it, it's they've got to do it. It's going to happen. But we were like, oh, but can they pull it off this year? And that's when we started talking about the iPhone six and different form factors. But like, they they they're not they can't do it. Like the the five C rumor thing is their new form factor for this year. It's probably been planning a long time. Doesn't seem like they had a, a larger phone in the pipeline for now, but. I, I'm not as down on them as it being a mistake as, as you are, because I think, I think they can last one more holiday season, but just barely. Like, it would be better if it was out now. I think they'll survive as it is. Uh, I bet they wish they could have it out sooner, too. I, I know some people are giving you crap on Twitter, like, oh, Mark, we keep talking about... I mean, the people who don't listen to our podcast, because they think you're saying they're going to have one of those ridiculous, you know, gigantic holding up a uh, 
a lunch tray to your head things. Like we're we're talking about a slightly larger iPhone, not even you know not but like you need the context. Right. I think maybe, maybe four and a half inches. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe not even that. that adds big. A like lot. You, you need the context of all those shows that we talked about this to understand that we're not saying that Apple's going to make a giant phone. Without that context, your tweet might seem silly. But like we're talking about the Apple needs to make a bigger one. It's not going to be massively bigger. They need it sooner rather than later. I think they'll survive without it. I, but I bet they're disappointed, too. I bet they're disappointed that they can't have a larger one. Now. Right. Because the fact is they are definitely losing sales to people who buy Android phones primarily, not necessarily only, but primarily because of the bigger screens. Yep. I don't know. I, I feel I, – I, half me says you're right. Half me says you guys are wrong. Part, firstly, as someone who has a 4S, I would kill to have the 5 form factor any day now because I'm too cheap to get a new phone every year. You, know, you don't have and to so, kill someone for it. It's, well, a, it's a lot cheaper than that. Fair enough. All right. So I guess I'll just have to save my pennies. But no, you know what I mean. And, and I'm really excited to have – even if it looks exactly like what you what you have, Marco, and it's just a little bit quicker, I'm very, very, very excited for that. Now, to be fair, uh, there there's no chance I'm going to buy an Android phone this year. Uh, I also think that you're right that a lot of people do buy Android phones, and I have heard some people with iPhones – of, on various degrees of the nerd scale, say, mm, I might not go iPhone this year because I really want something with a bigger screen. And so I think you're right about that. But I also think that a lot of the reason people buy Android phones is because oftentimes they're cheaper, especially up front. You know, instead of paying $100, $200, $300 or whatever it is these days for a brand new iPhone, and granted, this is where the 5C comes in and so on and so forth in theory, but a lot of people today will buy Android phones because simply because they're cheaper. Well, we talked about that just show, several shows back as well. Like, what if the what if the cheaper iPhone is also the bigger one? That seems like that's not going to be the case. And we, we right. said that if there was the case, that would be awkward because it's like, well, if you want the bigger phone, you got to get the slower one. And like, it turns out that's not going to be an issue. And you know, the, the bigger, the slightly, ever so slightly, like it's like not much bigger because they, like the iPhone five is kind of awkwardly dimensioned because they they basically just made it taller, which is a really weird way if you think about it to ever expand. Like, can you think of any other device with a screen where the screen expanded in only one dimension in a significant amount? Uh, it's really weird. So, like, it's it's very tall and very skinny, and it's just like, could you just make that a little bit wider, maybe? Or just maybe a little bit bigger? And again, not, not going to be the only phone they offer. People who want smaller ones will have smaller ones, I think. They will, you know, but, like, slightly bigger would really would really help. I agree. And, you know, a couple things we're not considering, both with the gold iPhone and the size, is that we're taking an extremely American-centric, myopic view of the world. And I wonder if, like, I've heard a lot of reports that the gold or champagne color is very popular in China. I have no earthly idea if that's true or not. Please email anyone but me. Uh, but it, I've heard a lot of that. Um, someone in the chat room said a second ago that, you know, a lot of people in Asia will buy specifically around screen size. I don't know if that's factual or not, but... Well, you can just look at Samsung's sales numbers. Like, they sell a lot of phones, and they sell a lot of phones with really big screens, and people are not, like, grudgingly taking the big screens. They like them. They want them. And you can complain whether, like, they should like them or not, or whether it's too big and phones shouldn't be that big, and Apple should take some sort of principle stand. People want it. Like, and Apple, like I said, Apple, I don't think, is going to make something comically large. They're just going to go a little bit bigger, because people want a little bit bigger. I'd buy it. Yeah, especially, you know, you figure if they made it a little bit bigger, they would have room for a lot more battery volume. And sure, the screen would take up more power because it would be a larger area. However, I bet bet it would not take up. I I bet it wouldn't totally cancel out the battery increase. So I bet if they made a larger phone, it would have overall better battery life than the current five size models. 
Did you see that one guy who was tweeting about the uh, internal changes to the iPhone, changes to the bus and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, saying like apparently the PCI yeah. Express bus might come next year to it, which would be awesome. Yeah, and then what I've said to the thing was that self-refresh is coming, which is like a feature, not that they're going to be Intel-based, but like the Haswell uh, chip says. Basically, so that the, the, the video hardware doesn't constantly have to tell the screen, keep displaying that. No, keep displaying that. Yep, same thing, keep displaying that. Oh. Instead, the, the screen can sit there and not keep getting signals from the graphics hardware if unless the picture is changing, which is a big power-saving thing. Sure. And so if that's come... I don't even know if it's in the new MacBook Airs, but it's part of Intel's push with their Haswell chipsets for PC hardware, and it, it makes perfect sense to do in a phone, uh, you know, anywhere you can get power-saving. So maybe that's part of that, but yeah, the changing of all the internal buses, and I think this is probably where the Lightning Connectors design will pay off, because I'm assuming Apple built it so that when they do change all the internal buses, they won't have to have a new connector, or a new, like, you know, like it's it's disengaged and isolated from the internals to enough of a degree uh, that they should be okay with Lightning Connector. I'm hoping that <laughs> that was their plan all along, and now we're seeing their plan come together. Yeah, because the Lightning Connector, it, it has enough pins that if you if you fudge the spec a little bit on grounding, uh, I believe you can have a full USB 3 uh, speed out of it at least. Um, like, I, I believe you can just make a USB 3 Lightning cable and, and it pretty much could work. Um, and and so, obviously, like, they made this thing. They didn't just make this thing to last two years, you know? <laughs> obviously, they made it yeah. They made it to last a while. You know, the, the, uh, that's the why old... the, the little adapter has that crazy chip in it that's running the little tiny embedded os like the <laughs> exactly. reason they did the reason they did that is because like look we could the old way was like we just hooked up the connector directly to some hardware that output the video signal but that ties us to or we have to continue to output that we really need to just totally uh, isolate you know this bus from the rest of the thing and yeah maybe that'll make it so our adapters have to be weird and stuff but now we're not tied to the internal implementation so that's the price they're paying and the, this is supposedly going to be the payoff of like we don't have to change the connector we don't have to bend over backwards to keep adding things to be sending out signals on all those pins uh because that's what the old one did you know we've we've pushed that responsibility upwards into the phone and the software and downwards into the adapter and then this can just be a nice connector to send the signals through speaking of sending things out of your phone and into it uh our second sponsor <laughs> I, 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 I gotta figure look, something out look at you segueing today <laughs> you're very good <laughs> uh maybe all right uh depends on how you define that uh, anyway, speaking of things that we talk about in podcasts, um, our second sponsor this week is another return sponsor. It's Audible. Audible is the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks. They used to have in our ad script, they used to say over 100,000 titles in their category, in their library, in virtually every genre. Now that's been increased. It's now over 150,000 titles. So Aud- Audible is constantly growing. It's a huge catalog. It's growing immensely. So if you want to listen to something, Audible has it. You can listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere. iPhones, iPads, computers, Kindles, even iPods. They, they, they work with all the iPods. They, 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 have, they are DRM, but they have uh, compatibility with all these different hardware platforms they've worked out. So it, you play them anywhere. It's great. Uh, Audible's offering ATP listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Go to www audiblepodcast.com slash ATP to take advantage of this special offer. Now, guys, Audible, as you know, uh, prefers if, if the hosts can come up with a, uh, a pick, a recommendation of maybe a, a, a good book or audiobook that you've read slash listened to recently. Do you guys have any picks for that? I do, but John, would you like to go? I have a pick as well. Do you want to save my pick for the next time, or do you want to do both of them? Ooh, that's tough. All right, Casey, go ahead. We'll save John's. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, so a couple weeks ago when we were in the midst of our crazy recording schedule, uh, I went to the beach for a few days and I read the book Ready Player One on Faith and Jason's uh, recommendation from a while back now. And I checked and not only does Audible have the audiobook version of Ready Player One, which by the way is an excellent, very quick read, but it they have the one done by Will Wheaton, which I have not heard, but I have heard through the grapevine is absolutely incredible. Uh, and so I definitely recommend that. Great. All right. Well, thanks a lot once again to Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash ATP to get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial. Thanks a lot to Audible. All right. So, um, want to talk about this whole fingerprint scanner home button thing? No, no. I think it's time for John to get angry. That's a good idea. That's way more interesting. Am I going to get angry about your recommendation of Redder Player One? I just based into the chat room our incomparable episode about it. We did not like it as much as you did. <laughs> Really? Oh, I loved it. Fine, I'll have to listen. Uh, we can argue about we can argue about that another time. But uh, speaking of you being angry about things, how do you like the new TiVo? Yeah, I actually had an opportunity to uh, review the new TiVo. I could have had it in my uh, sweaty little paws and played with it, but I don't have time to do that for obvious reasons. So I have not even seen this thing in person, used it, done anything with it at all because I don't have time for it. Uh, but I in the messaging for it, I was glad to see that one of the items, one of like the three items they were marketing, was that it's faster. Which is like, it, whether or not it's really faster, and at this point I have hard time actually believing that it's actually going to be faster in the ways that I want it to be. Or if it is faster, it'll be like slightly less embarrassingly slow. Uh, at least, at least they have figured out that this is a problem that we have to address and that we can't just not say anything about it. We're going to say, here's the new TiVo. It's got X, it's got Y, and the interface is faster. So I applaud them for that because they have this thing. They do like surveys of their, uh, you know, of, of their customers. I forget what they call it. They have some uh, name for it or whatever, like a customer server server. Anyway, they ask you questions and you and you answer like demographic stuff that they sell to advertisers and stuff. But also you get a chance to say like, what features would you like to see in the next TiVo? And do you have any general comments? And I actually answer these surveys every month, like a, you know, a dutiful little customer filling out the little boxes for all the movies I'm not going to see in theaters because I have kids. Uh, and when I get to the end part, I always say, please make your user interface faster. Please. Like every, every, I, have, I should just save it as a text expander snippet or something. I'm like, please, <laughs> for the love of God, make your user interface faster. Uh, and so they, you know, whether or not they have done it, they have acknowledged that this is a problem and, and released this thing here. I was saying to Lex the other day that he should get TiVo to sponsor the show. And I think a lot of people think like that I hate TiVo and that, you know, because I have all these rants about it on, on old episodes of Hypercritical and everything. But I, I feel like someone who's like a real Hypercritical fan and who actually listened to that episode knows that it's certainly not the case. Because despite all my yelling and screaming about TiVo, what I always say again and again, and I'll say it here again on the show, is it is the best DVR you can buy. I have them all over my house. I could not live without them. If someone took away my TiVo, I would be very upset. Is it as good as it could be? No, and that's why I yell and scream about it. But it's it's kind of like Apple. Like, you know, it's the first DVR worth criticizing. Like, I've been a TiVo user for, for ages. And so I think them sponsoring the show would not be crazy. And this new TiVo looks to be the best TiVo they've made in a long time. Is it as responsive as a TiVo Series 2? I don't know. I haven't tried it. I can't say one way or the other. But at the very least, they, they understand, hey, the responsiveness of our UI is an issue. Uh, we should address that. I'm disheartened to see all the other features that they're advertising because, you know, like, oh, now you can stream to iOS and it's got this thing built in. It's got six tuners instead of four on the high-end model. And also, it's like, no, 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 guys. 
don't worry about that stuff. Just constantly, like, regroup. You need to have, like, a Snow Leopard release. Just <laughs> internals only. Get rid of the standard definition menus everywhere. Make the thing blazing fast. And then the next release add, like, oh, we have new feet. Because, like, all those little, you know, we can do Amazon. We can do Netflix. We can do Hulu. We can do this. We can do searching across all, like, I know those are not going to be as good as I would want them to be. And, I, like, at this point, I, like, ignore the Netflix feature on my TiVo. Because in the competition among all the boxes connected to my TV, they can do Netflix. TiVo's like in last place. Maybe maybe it's ahead of the Blu-ray player. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> Apple TV is my number one. Silent, no fan, responsive interface actually works with Netflix. Like, So I understand that TiVo has to advertise all those fancy features, but that's not what I want out of TiVo. And if I was telling someone why, why they should buy TiVo, I would say to record programs and watch them later. like that, And it does that amazingly well, and it's reliable, and it doesn't crash, and... You just want it to record the programs and have you watch them later. And in that job, that indispensable job that my household could not function without, uh, TiVo does it. And everything else about it, I, I'm not as interested in as, as those key features. So I look forward to trying this out. I, I did think about, like, maybe I'll get rid of my existing TiVo as like, kind of like a gift to myself this Christmas or something. It would not be economically wise because I just bought this TiVo like two years ago. It's not even a warranty yet because I bought like the extended three-year warranty. I bought lifetime service for it. Wait, way people it. buy that? Yeah, like because it's like all the all the past TiVos I've had, lifetime service has been a good deal. Like I've I've had them and used them far past the point where lifetime service. Like I would have been paying way more if I had paid monthly or yearly than a lifetime service. But if I was to get rid of my current TiVo now, which was the previous top-end TiVo. It would not be economically wise to have paid for lifetime service two years ago and then ditch it. Uh, and you can't transfer the lifetime service to the other thing. And TiVo is expensive. Like, there's no two ways about it. And I don't complain too much about the expense because I've always said, make a $1,500 box. Just make it fast. I'll buy it, right? And this is like $600 plus $400 for the lifetime service. Like, it's expensive. I don't know how much. It, it probably would come out to be under a thousand, but I'd be willing to pay a huge amount of money for this because it's that important to like, you know, like my life and the functioning of my house. But I can't really, it's like, you just bought a TiVo and I'd rather, I think I'd rather spend that money on a PlayStation 4. So that's probably how that's going to go. I'm very disappointed that you're not absolutely infuriated that some of the screens, the user interface screens, are apparently still standard def. Well, you know how long I've been living with that insanity? Like what, I, what I've heard <laughs> from various people is that the actual, like, you know, the actual application that's running TiVo that records all the shows and everything is standard def. And all the high-definition menus are just, like, one of those extra applications that you launch from the real application that's running TiVo. So the high-definition menus are, you know, that's, that's one more layer up, right? So as soon as you exit out of the high-definition menus, then you see the real interface underneath it. And if it were you to exit out of that, then you just, you know, the thing wouldn't be recording stuff anymore. I don't know how accurate that is in terms of their stack, but, like, that's why the high def, you know, the standard def menu is there, because that's the actual underlying machine. And I can kind of understand, you know, why that didn't go away immediately, because you don't want to screw with the reliability. But now it's been like, how many years of television has been high def? It's just embarrassing. Like, maybe they don't, maybe there's some deep technical reason why they can't get rid of it or whatever. Like, if I had to choose uh, crashy and screws up my recordings, but it has all high def menus versus the current situation, I would choose the current one. I just think it's embarrassing for them technically that they haven't been able to get rid of these. But if forced to choose, I would say, look, if something, if you feel like you don't have the technical chops to ditch the, the, the underlying thing that's recording all this stuff and has the standard def menus because you're afraid of instability, I'm willing to believe that you, that your assessment of your competency is, is accurate. And I, <laughs> and I prefer that to have like, because my TiVo, you know, there was times where they've been a little bit crashy and like, you know, many years ago, this thing, 
has not spontaneously rebooted, has not crashed, has been like a champ against, you know, MPEG artifacts and stuff and things that record. It records four shows all the time. It's really quiet. It, it just it just works and does what it's supposed to do. And even though I, I, you know, I grit my teeth and think how insane it is that I can't scroll through the menus, and then it's like, down, wait for reaction, wait for reaction. Oh, it moved. Down, wait for, you know. It's <laughs> like, that infuriates me, but in sort of like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like, are the shows recorded? Yes. Can I watch them? Yes. Yeah, can I navigate them too quickly? No. But, you know, I've got like, <laughs> food, shelter, safety. That's about the level we're at, so. <laughs> I, I would, if anyone wants a DVR... Uh, I have again. I haven't read reviews of this yet, except for like the Verge preview thing. People are just getting them now. Uh, I would say wait for the reviews, and if they say it's a good deal, you should get one. I'm I'm very happy with the TiVos I have, and like I said, if you took them away from me, I would be pissed because what's my alternative? A cable company DVR? No, thank you. I've used many of those over relatives' houses, and they are so much worse. All right. So with that in mind, I am genuinely not trolling you. The only DVR I've ever had is the Verizon Fios DVR that we got months ago. We didn't have a DVR until like six months ago because I was too cheap to pay the monthly fee. Um, what makes a TiVo, again, I'm really honestly asking, what makes a TiVo so much better than that? Well, so the first thing is capacity. Like the cable company DVRs can hold like nothing, even if you get the fanciest, schmanciest one. The, the, the current top of the line TiVo holds like 10 times as much. Like, what is it, like 450 hours of HD? Do you know how many hours of HD yours holds? It's. I want to say it's measured in tens. Yeah, it's, it's probably not even hundred. Yeah, like it's not. It's not even close. And that might sound crazy. Like, oh, I'm not going to record that much. But once you have a bunch of kids and a bunch of season passes, and like you know, I have queued up you know a maximum of five episodes of 17 different shows for all the different kids and all our own things and whole series that I let queue up. Like that's that's what I'm paying all this money for this box to do. Like under the dome, I watched like the first couple of episodes, and now I'm just like, man, I'll save that for later. I'll let, I'm letting the whole series queue up. I'll get to it later. Right? You can't do that unless you have a three terabyte drive in there, and you know, or if you have UVerse and they do it all server side. But even then, the capacity is not that great. So that's the biggest thing. Like again, our household would not function. It, my, my wife has no idea. I always get like the, the one that holds the most that you can possibly hold, and she's still like, oh, it's eighty percent full. I got to delete stuff. Like she has that paranoia about you know the thing filling up or whatever. I'm like, don't worry, it'll it'll delete off. The ones that were not marked to save, it'll be fine. But like capacity, so that's number one. Uh, number two, most you know the DVRs that you get from the the cable companies can't record four shows at once, or now six shows at once. And you think, well, I'll never re- need to record six shows at once. I didn't think I'd ever need to record four shows at once. But you look at the thing, and very frequently, all four lights are lit up, and those are not all suggestions. Like uh, it, it would also record shows that it thinks you want. I don't really use that feature, but anyway, I'll see what it's recording. I'm like, you know what? Those are four legitimate shows that are going on at the same time. Now, granted, maybe the two that are recording for the kids, we could defer until later for a repeat. Uh, but I like being able to record all those things at once. Now, to quickly interrupt, that actually does make sense because there has only been once or twice. But there there were a couple times where we were recording two different shows and then I wanted to watch live TV for whatever reason and not watch those shows at the moment. And our DVR was like, uh-uh, I've got two tuners. you got to pick either one of those two shows or leave me alone. So yeah. that that actually does make sense. And the final thing I would say is 30-second skip, which is like every time I use someone else's DVR or U-verse thing or whatever and commercials come on and I have to fast-forward through them, I, I'm this just – it's terrible. Like No, the Verizon one does – I don't know how many seconds it, it is, but it does a bulk skip. 
Yeah, some of them have some kind of skipping feature, but most of them have like the fast forward scan feature, and then like they have varying amounts of overrun where you'll wait till you'll see the first scene of the show, and then you'll tell it to stop, but it'll actually put you like ten seconds back into the commercial that, because it, because it yep. thinks you're old and have bad reflexes. Mm-hmm. And TiVo that does that. TiVo does exactly the same thing, but TiVo I think is tuned for people with better reflexes. But thirty second skip and, eight, <laughs> and, and thirty second forward, eight second back. Like be, having that be single button presses, that's one of the things that pissed me off about the the fancy TiVo I have now is the thirty second skip got slower. Like if you press the thirty second skip button really fast, it will not show. It will stop showing you a different frame of video, and then you'll have no idea how far you've gone, and you'll have to pause. Like that's what that's a performance issue, right? Uh, but even with the performance issue, even with me thro- manually throttling myself, I would much rather thirty forward eight back or seven back or whatever it is than do fast forward scan in any other DVR. So I, I would say those are the cornerstones of why why tebow is essential to my life and why other dvrs infuriate me and there's many many other features that you could be interested in transferring things and there's, a, there's actually a very this is amazing me they have a nice ios app the ios interface on the ipad or even on the iphone is faster more responsive everything it's like how did you make a nice ios i mean granted the ios app was crashy early on and has some really but like when you're using it to move stuff you're like oh if only the tv interface was like this you know, it looks just like the TV interface. Like, why can't you do this over there? This, this iPod <laughs> Touch costs 200 bucks. Your box costs 600 Just put the iPod Touch inside the box so that I can... <laughs> I, don't un- I don't understand what's going on over there with the hardware. Maybe this one will be faster. But anyway, like, there are all sorts of other features that, that, that other people might be interested in. But for me, those are the big ones. It's the Mac Pro of DVRs, basically. Like, why do you need a Mac Pro? Why can't you just get an iMac or an iBook? You could, but I want the Mac Pro. And so I have the Mac Pro of DVRs. No, that's fair. So, but you sound reasonably uh, optimistic about this. It's uglier than mine. That's another reason it's keeping me from buying. <laughs> they made the, made Are there the more fans? No, it looks no. The fan is pretty darn good and pretty darn quiet. Uh, but the front of it, like all they did was change the front panel. Like it's just a metal box to the front panel, and the new front panel is uglier than the old one, in my opinion. But oh well. All right. Well, fair enough. Anything else we want to talk about, or do we want to just end slightly early-ish? <laughs> Uh, well, I discovered that our we, we will hit the 50 meg limit uh, with with our audio settings roughly at like an hour 40, uh, or like I think I think an hour 43 is like the exact like the limit of how how long we can go. Even if you go mono, you had that thing where you found out you're doing stereo before, right? Oh yeah, I've been doing mono now for for weeks. Uh, All right. Yeah. So as as long as we want to keep 64k mono, uh, we got to keep it below an hour 43. Oh, so. it's up to you guys. All right, I mean, let's, I, let's wrap it up. We have so much to talk about. We can save it for next episode. <laughs> yeah, weren't we trying to keep these shows around an hour? I kind of like that. And then we yeah. started going long again. All right. Yeah, well, it's like we're on that hypercritical show or something. Yeah, it happens. Like, let's see how long we were in follow-up <laughs> today. You'll slide right back into that. It's a disaster. <laughs> Thanks a lot That's to right. our two sponsors this week, <laughs> Squarespace and Audible. And we will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental Accidental. Oh, it was accidental Accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them E-Y-L-I-S-S, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental, accidental, they didn't
can you can hear the opening uh, chord of the song, can't you? Uh, all right, so yeah, that's that's the thing that people don't know is like they talk about it, the, the song being catchy. It's catchy for us too. Like I find yeah, myself is. thinking about like why are you yep. thinking about the song to your own damn podcast? But it happens. Oh yeah, that, yeah the whole reason we picked that song was because we couldn't get get it out of our own heads, and because you don't have the good taste to appreciate bleeps and boops. <laughs> oh God, listen to this guy. <laughs> else going on <laughs> no i mean well there's there's a whole lot going on but i guess uh, john how's the review going yeah uh, it's going all right i mean like I, like i said at this point i'm like i have another section that i need to write uh but then after that i'm waiting on apple i'm waiting for another build waiting to see new, what new things work what screenshots get changed i'm doing ebook production working on all that crap try so to try to get into the ibook store this year we'll see how that goes Ooh. Interesting. Actually, I'm curious. Um, ha- has your ebook workflow changed since last year? Because you mentioned you, you described it in, in a pretty good chunk of hypercritical back uh, for the last review, and uh, I know obviously the whole world of ebook tools is awful. Uh, so I'm wondering if anything's different this year. No, I had like the you know the programmers the programmers pile of crap because you know I just <laughs> a, bu- a bunch of terrible scripts <laughs> and all I did was copy those bunch of terrible scripts and modify the terribleness inside them. Like at a certain point, maybe I'll feel like you know what I should make these not crappy but it's just I, i'm just too efficient at modifying the crappy scripts to work with the new thing I, and the thing is like and i'm like leaving old stuff in there i'm just like either commenting it out or like maybe i'll need that later like so then they're accumulating residue the, the scripts are terrible but yeah these are all just hand assembled it's just me bb edit and pearl uh and that's all you need to basically make an ebook uh and i didn't know <laughs> i didn't i didn't bother and the thing is i fought it all last year like to make these scripts and now i know like don't bother looking at the tools like just you know, it's just a bunch of files in a container in a format. It's all text. You zip it up. You feed it through some executables, like whatever. Uh, you know, and it's all. And what it comes down to in all these things is it's like it's like Android. It's like you know fragmentation. The the process is you know build the book, load it on this device, see what's crappy. Build it, load it. It's like Jenga. You know, <laughs> not Jenga. Like you, you push something. All right, now it looks good on on the, the Kindle Touch. All right, let's look at an iBook. So now it looks bad there. Like the worst one is Kindle because Kindle packs uh, two formats into a single file, the Mobi format and the KF8 format. And KF8 is reasonably full-featured, and Mobi is a pile of crap. But you can't give different, you know, different content to the two formats. You have to find some crappy way with CSS to, you know, like do these terrible hacks of like, okay, well, apply this style sheet. You can apply style sheets on each, de- on each device. You can say this, this style sheet applies to KF8, and this style sheet applies to Mobi. And that is sufficient to do anything you want because you're like fine display none on kf8 and then you know you just you can just hide things but like come on guys like i'm generating these files i could generate two totally different files this one would be optimized for Mobi. this one would be optimized for kf8 but instead i gotta make one set of markup and do stupid ass css hacks to make it look good in both of them and then by the way make sure it looks good on you know on the iphone screen on the big iphone on the small iphone and now i gotta check in on ibooks on the mac as well and on all the different kindles and on the kindles and on the kindle fire and use the kindle previewer to show us other things but the kindle previewer crashes when you use this particular device so you have to use the real device and how do you get the same book onto all your seven devices and then see where it looks right so that's that process sucks and continues to suck <laughs> So, Marco, did you ship all of your old devices up to uh, the Boston area in order for John to test? I, I've got plenty. Like, I don't have Marco's collection of Kindles, but I've got sufficient Kindles. I, last year, I did have to ask Scott McNulty uh, from The Incomparable, who also has every Kindle on demand, to test something because I didn't have a Kindle Touch and the simulator was lying to me. That's the other thing. Like the preview where they give you to say, here, try it on that Oh, device. that's a piece of garbage. 
Yeah, it's a terrible application, and it lies, apparently. Yeah. Because, like, I previewed it on the Kindle Touch, and it looked fine. And then someone sent me a picture of his Kindle Touch after it had already been uploaded to the Amazon Star, and he'd bought it and got it, and it was, like, unreadable. And it's like, well, that's not what the previewer showed. No, so generally speaking, to... the Kindle previewer does not tell you anything. You, you Honestly, you should not even be using it. It, it is I mean, that bad. It's, like, it's I think it's better than nothing. Useless. It's not because it'll it'll tell you that something looks a certain way, and the actual device is nothing like that. Like, there's that big of differences. It's it is completely useless because it it gives you a false sense of security. It does it does give me feature support though. But like the the iOS version of the Kindle Reader, by the way, is terrible. Like it doesn't it doesn't support like. I don't even know it doesn't support KF8. Maybe it doesn't support KF8. Maybe only the Kindle Fire supports KF8. But it, 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 I'm amazed that at this this you know KF8's like two years old, a year old, and the iOS reader still acts like an e-ink Kindle with like fancy graphics. Like it can't do like floated mm-hmm. images to the side. It's like oh can't handle that. So you know that kind of thing of like does is this feature supported in iOS? The previewer can usually show it because if you try to float something, it will not float in the previewer and it will not float on, on the iOS app. So. You know, some I don't trust it entirely because I have the devices here. But when I'm making change after change after change, sometimes I just want to go to the previewer and click three times and get it to reload the book. That's, that's the great thing about the Kindle for Mac, which, by the way, I also have to test in, which does display KF8, is you have to, like, right-click the book, delete the book, go to the Finder, find the book, drag it onto the Kindle thing because you can't do open from within the app. Uh, and then it, Because it copies it into, like, the Kindle library. Repeatedly doing that task, I should make an Apple script for it because it's like so annoying you can't just like you know you wanted to say okay the, the file's changed reloaded it's like what do you mean reloaded it hasn't changed i have my own copy in my library and that one hasn't changed <laughs> that sounds awful yeah. so that oh. I, I went through that process which in the beginning that process is a nice break from writing but it, eventually you're like you know what this sucks i'm but I not feeling this at all oh my god I this is bet, like i bet you don't like bad flashbacks but you're feeling relatively confident about it the um, review yeah i'm all right i mean i like I thought it would kind of be similar length to the Mountain Lion one, and I think after I finish the Slack session, it will be maybe a little bit shorter, but it feels longer to me because I don't know why it feels like. Maybe it feels longer because all the, all the screenshots are retina. Like, I don't think there's more screenshots than there were before. Maybe there are even less, but all of them are twice as big. So, like, the production workflow, those big images, and that's the other thing with Kindle. They charge you for the download. They charge you per megabyte. Mm-hmm. And so now I've just doubled the size of my book. And it's like, it's a $4 book, and I'm already, you know... Amazon's already, get, you know, it's $5 book. Amazon's already getting like four bucks out of that five. <laughs> and, you know, they, like I'm going to double the size of it and they're going to take even more. I don't want to raise the price of the book. So I had to crush down the images with even bigger compression in the Kindle one. That's that's the advantage of the iBooks version. I'm going to ship full res pings on there because Apple, as far as I know, does not charge anything for download. So I'm like, here you go. 35 meg book. Enjoy. Huh. Oh, yeah. Nice. Apple, I mean, like, that's why... Uh, what was David Sparks' book? Uh, was it Paperless, the one that he did? Yeah, where that was huge. It was like a gig, right? Yeah. And it was fine. Like, Apple doesn't charge anything different yeah. for that. Th- that, would char- that would cost you like $150 in download fees from Amazon oh, yeah. site. Amazon has two deals. Like, you can do uh, 70% royalty, which is pretty good. Like, so you get 70% of the purchase price of the book. Of course, you don't get to pick the purchase price because they can change it for price matching. But anyway, 70%, but there's that per megabyte fee, or you can get 30% and no per megabyte fee. So, you know, they know what they're doing over there. But I'll be much happier to get the 70% and also no download fee at iBooks if I can get through the process of submitting a book to iBooks and getting it published and approved, and which is much harder than Kindle because Amazon's <laughs> like, sure, upload it, click a button, and eventually we'll put it up for sale, but then we'll refuse to load it onto an iPad for no reason. <laughs> yeah, that was last year's drama. This year, I don't know what's going to go wrong. Who knows? But you're just totally powerless. You're like, you can't get in touch with a human. Uh 
and days are passing and people are like, how could you sell this book? You can't even load it on an iPad. And you totally can, but their website says you can't. And, they're, they're, and, awesome. and, and their website refuses to send it to an iPad. Like, you know, they send to my Kindle. It won't even list your iPad. It's like, sorry, this book can't be sent to an iPad. Like, <laughs> yes, it can. It totally can. I'm looking at it right now. And then, then they fix it. And then we uploaded a new version of the book with typos fixed. And then it couldn't be loaded on the iPad again. Yeah, that's the whole episode of Africa about that. Now, good I'm time. curious, because of because of the audience, obviously this is not a good solution for, for most books, but because of the audience of a, an in-depth, you know, tens of thousands of words, Mac OS X version, point, you know, point release version review, uh, obviously this is a somewhat technical audience. Could you do the thing that I believe O'Reilly does or one of the big uh, publishers does, I, probably all of them do it, where you sell the book on your own site and, or, you know, on ours site or whoever, whoever's doing it, and uh, and then you can just download a Moby version for if you if you want to put it, put it on a Kindle, like is that? Well, we do, well, ours does that. Like if you if you sign up for a month of like ours Premiere, which is like five bucks, the same price as buying right, book on right, right. stores. You get you get the Kindle. Uh, well, I don't know if they put the Kindle version, but anyway, you get an iBooks compatible EPUB, no DRM. Uh, you get a PDF version, and I believe they also put the Kindle version up, but I forget. Like you get the Moby yeah, I think and you're KFA, right. KFA version. Like so, like that is. That is the best deal if you want to do that. But then people are wary, like, oh, I don't want to subscribe to something, then I have to remember to cancel and all this other stuff. And it's like, well, for five bucks, you can get every single one of these books in every format. But if you'd rather buy, people just feel comfortable buying from Amazon. So that's why I put it up on Amazon. A lot of people ask about iBooks. If I can get my book up there, I'm going to do that as well. Like, I just, I, if I'm giving, I think everyone should read it on the web for free. I think that is by far the best version of this book to read. But sometimes people just want to give me money. Sometimes people just really want to read it on their Kindle. Like, if you're going to read this review on an e-ink Kindle, like with like the images all like grayscale, <laughs> like some people want to do that. And who am I to say that they can't give me money? So that's why I uh, figure, like, <laughs> I figure, like, how much, how much of your time and trouble is it really worth? To give an amazing experience to these devices, where it's already doomed to be a pretty well, crappy. It's not amazing. I'm just general. trying to. I'm just trying to be acceptable. Well, but it's like, you know it's pretty much doomed. Like it's not going to be good. And you know, and why not? And and especially dealing with like the weird megabyte limitations and Amazon's stupid tools. I mean, every every tool Amazon makes for publishers is ridiculously horrible. And so just dealing with all that stuff is. Well, you uh, can sign up for KDP Select. Uh, and then you get you no know, per megabyte download and all this other great stuff. But yeah. your book your book must be for sale exclusively on Amazon. Oh yeah, and that's so, of course. So correct. f that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, like why? It it you know the the concerns about not wanting to sign up for a subscription and having to remember to cancel it. Those are very those are very valid. Uh, why not just? You know, because obviously I'm I'm sure the people at ours and they're Condé Nast, right? I'm sure I'm sure they. Uh, they want people to subscribe, and, and that's part of the reason of having it on their site. But certainly they can also realize uh, the value of just, like, make a dedicated page for just this book, put a Stripe form up there, and just have some way to pay five bucks and get the files for download right yeah. there without having like, to sign up. Like, they, you would make so much more, and they would make so much more from it's not, that. It's not than, that much money in the grand scheme. It's like, not that many people buy the book. So we don't want to get a tour of loan. Like, and, and they do sell more books than just mine. Like, I think you're right. Like, at this point, they sell, like, maybe, maybe there's like four ebooks a year that they sell. They, you know, get significant sales. It's maybe probably worth it for them to do what you said, put up a page, have Stripe do it or whatever. But, like, I don't think that's how, like, that's something that ours would have to make on its own. Condé Nast has no sort of infrastructure for, like, hey, we're going to sell stuff over the world. Wait, like how do, do they sell the other ebooks that they make? You could say they make four a year. 
Yeah, they did put them on Amazon. Like that's uh, most people just just put them up on Amazon. I think I'm. I, I, they may have done some on iBooks. I don't remember, uh, or I may be the first iBooks one. I don't know. But like, they're if they did it themselves. It, but like, if you think about the development cost of how many developers and how much time it would take to do that, they would eat up the first and second year sales. Like, we sell some eBooks, but like they're five dollar eBooks, and like tons of people read them on the web and slice off many many zeros to see how many people who actually buy them like you right. know it's it's not it's not that much money so i i kind of understand it's kind of on the balancing point of like well we could have our developers add features to the website or whatever or we could have them put up a stripe page and at this point i think sending them on it to, to amazon or to ibooks and sort of delegating that and outsourcing it i think it's still reasonable like if they were selling you know, if every single article is available in ebook form or like some percentage of them, but it's really just like four or five high profile articles a year. And, you know, who knows? It, it could happen. Like, because they do have good development. Like, they, they wrote their own live, you know, what do you call it? Event? Like, uh, what was it? Cover it live, Stream. those type of things. Yeah. Like, when you're, when you're covering podcast. it. Yeah. Because they kept using third party vendors and they kept crapping out, so they wrote their own. But that's like more of a core competency of the site. Like you go to ours for the live blogs. There's like you know twenty of those a year, and that's big traffic time. So they wrote their own one of those, and you know had their developers do it, and, and it's awesome. Uh, I don't think they're at that point now for book sales. Anyway, uh, can we talk about the M4? Can we talk? Speaking of gold. Yes, seriously. Oh, what is that color? I oh, every God, time I see so that, I'm bad. like, that's got to be Photoshop. It's like, no, remember, no real object is that color. Remember when uh, when the Dodge Neon first came out in like '98, yes, whatever yes, it was, yes, and it, yeah. it had one, it had like a mustard yellow color. It just yeah. looked terrible. This is like the exact same color. That. I don't know why people do that. Like BMW has has some a bad color gene. They have that. <laughs> yes. Well, all of true. their cars have to be available in like two or three great colors, three or four forgettable colors, and like two completely awful i can't believe that's even available colors yeah and i don't know if that's like a cultural thing like in germany those colors are popular or just no one th- like who well, thinks do you remember the taxis the munich taxis were well, how did you describe it marco it it's was the like color of aged plastic, plastic. Yeah, it's yeah like it's like this l- very very light beige it's like it's plastic from the late 80s that when it was new was white it's sun scorched. It's like when you leave when you leave old Apple hardware, like old Macs, out in the sun. They, they the orange deepens. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Like the the white MacBook had that problem originally. I, I had one of those that had that problem where like the entire t- uh, what they called the top case, which is like the whole surface that the keyboard is part of, that that whole panel uh, would discolor into like this gross orangey looking thing because of heat. And people thought it was because of, like, dirty hands, because it would be a lot of times in, in like, the, the hand resting area. But even if you'd put, like, films on top of it, which I did immediately when it was brand new, you would still get that discoloration underneath the film. And it turned out they had this problem that it was just, like, the plastic was aging poorly with all the heat that it had to deal with being a laptop. And uh, they eventually replaced them all or... Uh, well. Uh, so they probably they probably dealt with that same issue among many others with the white iPhone that they had so much trouble with. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure that was part of it. So yeah, so the M4 was announced. It's this hideous gold, and when we say gold, we don't mean fun-looking champagne. If you even consider that, no, fun. it's like I mean, mustard like vomit. Hideous, yeah. It's, it's, it's like vomit. it's like if you miss mu- mustard and mercury. Yes, <laughs> yes, and it's awful. It, the, I think it's a decent-looking car under the paint. Maybe it's so hard to see because I'm too busy cleaning up my own vomit. But uh, but they're saying it's a twin-turbo version of my motor, the N55, which is about the same power output as the. Uh, V8 E90 M3. Wait, they give, they give engine details? A little bit. Or maybe it was I it was in that autoblog post. That okay, I, it, so. it was expected to be a, a triple turbo uh, V6, 30, 
um, with roughly 400 horsepower. Can you put a link in the chat room to that one Hadith picture? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to multitask. It's not working. Um, and so the other interesting thing that they announced today, and I'm putting the link in now, is that it's losing the manual transmission, which makes me Well, but hold on. Yeah, but that, was a, people... that was a rumor that Autoblog reported that they said their source said. But, like, but then like Beamer Post uh, chimed in and said, we've actually heard the opposite. And here's a photo of a prototype on, on, you know, that was spotted somewhere that had a stick. And there's like all the – and like here's like the VIN database that this one says it has a DCT and this one doesn't say that. So it probably has a stick. Like there's – there's all sorts of uh, of pretty good reasons to the contrary. See well, this color. Oh my it god! Could, this it could be like, like it's Photoshop. You, you know what? You know what that? Uh, you know what it looks like? Marco will know what color that looks like. Actually, I, I've dealt with. I, you're probably talking about like infant poop or something. I am talking about infant poop. I have, after you eat, <laughs> yeah, after you feed them the peas, that's infant poop color. Totally. Like, I, like yeah. they're not onto solid foods quite. Like, it's mostly milk because their milk poop is kind of yellowish. But then, like, yeah. you started feeding them the split pea. That is that is in a diaper right there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've, I've actually spent all day dealing with a sick dog. And I've seen some of those colors today, actually. Yeah, it's also, <laughs> oh, dog, vom- it's also dog vomit color because yeah, dog vomit fun. is usually yellowish. Yeah. No, it, it, I've also seen, and I think I sent this only to Marco. I don't remember if I sent this to you, John. But uh, somebody found or put together um, sales numbers or what do they call them, take rates for... Yeah, you send it to us of how many people are buying the manuals. Right, the E90 M3 and how when when they started offering the DCT, you saw the take rate of manual transmissions just plummet everywhere except the U.S., which seems totally backwards to me because nobody in America drives a stick and everyone drives stupid automatics. Whereas in Europe, in my experience, everyone drives a stick and nobody drives automatics. But apparently in the M3, it was reversed. And so one of the arguments they've had, Marco, was, Marco and I were talking about this earlier, and I am, is, well, maybe the U.S. will get the stick and nobody else will. In the, in the but, but, then, but then it could be like the M5 where, like, yeah, the U.S. gets a stick, but it sucks and no one wants it. Well, yeah. That's well, and, true. And, and, you know, if you look at those take rates, it does look like, though, that, you know, the M5, the take rate for the stick was, was getting pretty bad. But the M3 take rate for the stick in the U.S., was I think like fifty percent still right? Yeah, but, but the M three, but the M three stick was good, and the M five stick. Every review I've read of it is like mushy and not satisfying to use. Like you got to make a good stick. You can't be like, oh, fine, here you go. Here's a no, stick. no, it wasn't. Like, it wasn't that it was a bad stick. It, it was that like the rest of the car designed around the stick uh, just every, so it was so much better with the DCT. Well, hold on, every hold on. every review I've read of it said it's a bad stick. It well, does which not, which M five are we talking about? Mine, the, because, Marco's M five. Yeah. Okay, because the E sixty, which was the V ten M five universally everything i've ever heard you're absolutely right total piece of crap where the f10 m5 which is marcos i read one article and it was only one and to be fair i think it might have been in the bmw owners club whatever (laughs) it is magazine but they said oh my god this the the six speed f10 m5 is amazing Mm, and they were extremely effusive about it i'll go read the uh the the Groupings of magazines from my youth, which I keep reading like an old man. No, no, I agree. Car, I agree. Car and driver, road and track, automobile, motor trend. Motor trend's kind of raggy. None of them like the stick. Oh, I completely agree. This they was all, the only one I They all thought the DCT version was the one to get, and that like, even though, even like car and driver, who's like they got the whole save the manuals campaign, they're like, we can't recommend that you get that anyone get this manual. Uh, it's not a good manual. You should, you know, get get an M3 if you want a manual. Well, and maybe not anymore. You still I, get an M3 with a manual, just not an M4. 
Yeah, it seems like I, I, I think it would have to. I, I totally believe that person who said that the U.S. is going to get it. I do worry, though, that it will be like the M5, that like like Marco said, not well matched the car, but also like the M5, not a satisfying manual by all the reports that I read of it, which is a shame because like it's not it's not a check mark. So you don't be like, oh, it's got a manual, check the box, therefore I feel good. You want to get the enjoyment of the manual, and BMW manuals are really nice. Uh, I've driven my father's, and I've driven his Audi, and the, you know many only driven manuals my whole life, and the BMW manual he's got in his car is the nicest feeling one that I've ever driven. And they have something there. Uh, if they're going to preserve it for the U.S. as a kind of a throwback, and because people want it, at least give the good one. You know, something. I mean, for whatever good. it's worth, also, like like I had when I had the one M, that was an amazing stick. It was that was a fantastic stick car, fantastic stick experience, everything. Um, now they're re- they're replacing that effectively with the new M two thirty five I model uh, that is coming to the U.S. And that, for all intents and purposes, looks like the the sequel to the M to the one M. Um, that's the kind of thing I bet that's that's going to be probably the last car in the lineup available with a stick. Yeah, that's possible because they they always said the one M was as close to you could as you could get to what the E thirty M three you know the right. original lightweight, relatively high power but extremely lightweight high revving M three, and they always and everything I read about the one M was it was very it, it very it was very similar to that. You drove but not one. as attractive. <laughs> no, but like you know it's. I think with a car, and this is going to sound crazy, but with a car the size of of the three series, and of course being based on it than the M three. Now with with the new M three and four, they have focused a lot on weight savings. That's been like that's one of the reasons they went from the V eight to the V six, and they they are doing more carbon fiber, more aluminum. Like they're saying, like one of the main reasons, one of the main goals with the M three and the M four was to be lighter weight than their regular non M three series counterparts. Um, so maybe maybe this won't hold true quite yet, but um, I think enthusiasts who like the feel of driving a lot and who and who want that kind of like direct connection between you know your body and the road that you can feel so well with a stick uh, and that, that level of control, I think I think they're going to be pushed to smaller and smaller cars, and you know I don't think it would be that bad if the M two thirty five I comes out and ends up being awesome. And you know, maybe five years from now, that's the only BMW available with a stick. I don't think that would be that bad because the enthusiasts who who like having a stick, who who like the advantages that gives you, tend to also like smaller and lighter cars. Yeah, they'll they'll eventually go too. Hope it's you know, a generation of kids will grow up not ever using a stick, not ever desiring a stick, uh, and they will appreciate all the good things about an automated manual. Uh, and there are many, and then that'll be that. So eventually we'll all die. But yeah, it's like it's, you'll be worried about you know what do you call it? Uh, adjusting the fuel mixture with the rod sticking out of the dashboard. Yeah, we don't care, but we don't care about that. People used to. They all died. <laughs> 